Well, welcome to another episode of Through the Lens of Christ. I'm Adam Baker, and I'm here with Steve Douster. How are you doing, Steve? Good, Adam. We uh, we are. I will say this in advance that we are recording this on Zoom. I am uh, I'm a bit under the weather, so mentally I at least have an excuse this time. Uh, so we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll we'll give you what, what we've got. Steve's going to carry most of the ball on this, but. Um, I've got lots of thoughts and opinions on what we're going to talk about as well. So, um, so if the audio quality is not the best, um, we're on Zoom. And I will also say that I've got a pretty heavy lag. I'm on uh, satellite internet because we're in the rural world. So I, I feels like I've got like a two second lag between everything that happens. So we'll see how all that kind of shakes out. But so apologize in advance for anything that's awkward or uncomfortable. Um, having said all of that, my disclaimer for the morning, um, we are uh, this morning going to be talking about something that is an extremely important topic, uh, both Steve and I feel, um, from a Christianity perspective, from how are we being seen by the world, uh, from a how are we perceiving Christ in the world. Um, there are many things, that, and we've been talking about this for a while, we've tried to get off the political bandwagon uh, for quite some time, and it just doesn't seem to to happen because every week, every day, it seems like there's there's some uh, additional revelation that's coming out. And even as um, we continue to see the Supreme Court, whether at a state or a federal level, uh, continue to shut down avenues uh, for Trump's reelection, we see just a, a continuing strong emotive response from the Christian right. And um, we, we want to talk about that. We want to talk about what is, why, why is that? Where is it coming from? What is the, the right perspective to have? And again, these are things that are, are controversial, but we think they're important conversations for us to have. Because I, I to put my cards on the table, I think we are, we are at risk of reelecting Trump and severely damaging the gospel. And I don't, I just don't think that we want to be there. And I think that our, our perspective needs to be that regardless of who the, the leader is, it doesn't change the gospel message. It doesn't change what the world needs. It doesn't change that the world is still lost and separated from God. And we need to uh, be responding in a way that is loving and kind and caring and um, reality driven. So having said all that, Ashley's going to post a couple of articles underneath uh, this podcast uh, that Steve found are really good um, articles from Dreher and, and French. Um, and so he's going to kind of walk through some of those thoughts, set up some thoughts, and then and then we'll share. So go ahead, Steve. Okay. So yeah, I wish, I wish we were feeling better because we need sharp minds here, but we'll do the best we can with, with what we have, with God's given us. Um, yeah. You know, the one thing you mentioned, I think, just to clarify, we're on the verge, I think you said, of reelecting Trump and kind of subverting the gospel. What? I don't think you mean that Trump's about to be inaugurated on in January the 20th. It's, I think it's, I think what you meant to say or, or meant by that is simply that um, Christians are very focused on trying to get Trump reelected again, even after the election um, in, or, or some Christians are at least, or, or a group of people that claim to be Christians are doing these things. Um, is that, is that kind of what you're, where you're headed? Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely, my intention was is that that's the goal right now. It seems to be the goal right now is trying to get him reelected at what seems to be yeah. the potential expense of the gospel. So good clarification. Yeah, I just want to make sure, yeah, make sure I just kind of make sure I understood too. So yeah, so yeah, there was, there was 
a couple of different things going on. It was over the weekend, I guess, for some uh, a march, a Jericho march, they called it, which was kind of like a big gathering in Washington, D.C., um, I guess designated as some sort of a, well, a, a religious gathering, at least, Christian mainly, I think, even though I think there were some Jewish folks there and there were Roman Catholics there and also evangelical Christians there. And, um, and I kind of caught wind of it like late Sunday afternoon or evening. I just saw a tweet by Rod Dreyer who was saying, hey, this is some weird stuff going on here. And, and they were talking about weird things. And then um, I mean, it was even earlier than that. But French came out with his normal, I think it was his Sunday column um, where he talked about he, he really focused on the event. And then even Al Mohler, I'll mention him on Monday, which I think is uncharacteristic of Al Mohler. Um, he, he mentioned it only for about a five or six minute segment at the end of his briefing, the, the daily briefing on Monday morning, which is un unusual for Mohler only because it's simply, uh, Mohler usually waits two, three days, maybe even a week before he comments on something that's going on in the news or something that's happened. He just waits till things shake out a little bit, it seems like, and then he posts on it. And so he posted on this right away and just you know named a few dangers and some problems associated with this gathering. But <clears throat> the gathering was led by or formed or organized or was emceed or whatever by Eric Metaxas, who is, I think, kind of a charismatic, um, you know, claims to be an evangelical Christian. He's written a few, written a few books. Um, I read one of his books a while back. I think it was the Bonhoeffer book he wrote. I think he's got one on Martin Luther. Anyway, um, also he's a radio guy and uh, used to have a, you know, significant following, maybe still does. But um, they, and they, the conversation was about, you know, Donald Trump trying to get him reelected, the conspiracy theories uh, that have been happening or the conspiracy to keep him from being um, elected to another term and all that that means. And there was a lot of faith and um, um, God told me this is what he's here to do kind of stuff going on, which I think is kind of dangerous. And that's what kind of got my attention just as things kind of got started. Yeah. And I, I think I would, uh, I would point out one thing in there, which, which has been a, a pretty constant theme throughout all of this controversy is this uh, dreams and visions. And God told me it's not just the Jericho March um, thing where it came up, although Eric Metax has brought it up a, a few different times, but um, you know, you go back, I don't remember, I, I can't even remember the specifics, but it was probably four or five months ago, maybe even longer, where some uh, pastor had a vision of uh, the election date and then images of China and image, you know, this thing like hit the airwaves and, and based on what, right? Like it was based on because somebody had some dream and therefore said, God said this that we then all of a sudden have lost the ability to check it against scripture and say, okay, what, what does God, what does God's word actually say? It's not that we don't believe that God still is actively engaged in our lives, but it certainly must be um, put back against the truth of scripture. And can we confirm what we think we're being told? Um, and I think that we're seeing a lot more of that out of this side, which is that God is, telling me something and then we see people rallying around that truth but without actually seeking to confirm and, and i think it's a it's a dangerous position to be well yeah i mean i don't know you know just in your life experience adam i mean i've had a couple different times in my life where people have used that kind of thing kind of kind of on me right they they, they, they want to do something and they say you know god told me this is what i should be doing um or or god has god has given me information so you're kind of pointing out i think the biggest theological problem that we probably both have with this whole situation, this just Jericho March situation, which is that exact thing. Well, you know, God gave me this private revelation 
And now I, I'm obligated to follow God in that. And, and I'm on the hook for making sure that happens. And so is God. I'm going to put, um, you know, by saying God told me this or God told me this is going to happen, then I'm obligated, obviously, to do it. You're obligated to allow me because God's the one telling me. And God's obligated to this, this outcome that's expected from it, too. So there's a lot of obligating here um, that's really, really challenging. So theologically, that's, that's just a huge problem. And for Christians to be involved in that, um, well, first of all, for people to be involved in that is really bad. And for people that claim to be Christians seems to make things bad for both them and for the name of Christ. And, you know, part of me also wonders, well, are these really Christians or are we, are we really, again, talking about, as I try to make the distinction, you know, Christians in name only or cultural Christians or, or the Christian right, whatever that might mean in politics, which is a bunch of people, probably some of them believers and many, many, many of them not believers, but the world looks to them as representing the church, the Christian church and Jesus is in the bride of Christ. And I think that's, that's a challenge all the way around. Um, I did write down uh, this morning, I kind of went through the French article, and he had, he had four different problems that he mentioned um, at the beginning of that article that he kind of distills if, if anyone wants to read the article. And here's the, here's the things he mentioned. He mentioned the difficulties with that whole event was conspiracy theories, and he, he kind of talks about the problems with conspiracy theories, which one of them is sometimes you just can never prove them false. And if they can't be proven false, then they surely must be true. So that's that's a challenge. Um, he mentioned well, mixing I would, I would nationalism. Uh, jump in. To interrupt on that again. There's there's my lag. So apologize for my awkward jump ins. But uh, the uh, the idea of these conspiracy theories never being proven, never being able to be proven false. I would even go so far as to say we never take the time to go back and acknowledge the ones that we have been proven false. I mean, there's a lot of things that yeah. have been said and done over the last, oh, well, throughout history, but especially over the last nine months, whether you're talking about a, a QAnon conversation or you're talking about some, some dark secret corner of the world or somebody coming up and saying, I've got a vision from God. We do not go back and say, they don't get nearly as much press to say, listen, that isn't true. We need to be more discerning about what we believe in and accept. And, and so I think that's a that's a big danger, which I, I think is is what uh, what he's getting to in, in this article. But that the conspiracy theories kind of exist on their own as if they're believable, we're going to run with them. If they're proven false or not able to be proven false, we just keep that quiet. And again, I think we've got to be we've got to be seekers of truth. And I just see that we're we're seekers of of subjective truth right now, and it's it's just very dangerous. Well, that's a, that's a really good point. I mean, I think part, part of it goes to how, well, where to start with this? Well, well, first of all, like my, just thinking about myself, I don't have any special knowledge or special information of these events and what's going on. And I'll, I'll venture to say that most people and perhaps almost everyone, even at that rally, they don't have much more than I do um, that's, that's available to them. I mean, I, I think we discussed this even when we were talking about the election at one time early, early on in our podcasts that, you know, there are some things that I can read. I, I, I don't know politically or, or even culturally or, or, you know, what's going on with this particular situation in any kind of firsthand way. I didn't see or wasn't part of the programming of election equipment. I wasn't. Um, I, I wasn't there at these polling places when things were going good or bad myself. Um, I, I don't know enough about the law 
to understand all the ins and outs of election law and how things should be run. I don't know those things. So therefore, I have to rely on someone else. And actually, I rely on many people, and, and, and just like everybody else does. And, and it's, both, it's both gleaned over time, it's things that are read now, but, but it's always relying on someone else. And, and in this situation, like many others, I can find voices that tell me one thing, and I can tell, find voices that tell me the exact opposite, and they both sound very plausible based on your, their point of view. And I, my, as, as a believer, well, the only thing I do know about that is that I have a sinful, my, 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 myself, I'm a sinful person. I'm not fully sanctified, and so I don't interpret things well, and neither do they. And, and all of us have this bent and this angle. And so all I know is that what they're telling me probably contains an element of truth. And it's also almost certainly not wholly true. So, so when I go back to like you just said, being a truth seeker, I have to go back to, well, the only truth that I know is truth and that it is objective truth is in scripture. And it is the Holy Spirit speaking scripture into my life. And so I can start there. And then every time I move out from there, whether I'm applying my own self and my own understanding of myself to that scripture or the culture around me to that scripture, I, I, I'm at risk because I don't, I, I don't have 100% pure knowledge. That doesn't mean I don't act. That doesn't mean I don't think and I don't vote and I don't um, you know, use my power, influence, strength, awakeness, whatever it might be to, to get things done. But it, but it starts, the further I get away from that, the more um, challenging I am to make definitive determinations of things. Um, so I think that's, that's what's going on here as well. A lot of people that, that listen to certain people, I listen to certain people too, but they listen to a certain group of people um, get pretty amped up about this and start, start acting on it in ways that aren't in accordance with the gospel. And that's where we start really having problems. And we, when we're actually, I think, diverging from what the gospel calls us to do changing our priorities, changing the way we talk about politics or sin or other people or our enemies or whatever it might be. And to me, that's a huge challenge. I think we're in the middle of that with this situation. And we've been in the middle of it for a while, just culturally and politically. It's such a huge problem. Yeah, and I would, your, uh, your point about um, not knowing that you don't have any special knowledge of any of these things, like even, even though um, what we're talking about is, hey, we've got to be more focused on what is objective truth. And we, I don't know that there's not corruption in the election. In fact, if I'm going to put money on something, it's that there's corruption in the election. I think we're, we're talking about living in a broken world, in a fallen place where sin is prevalent. And so to assume, for me to say that, look, there is no election or no corruption in the election, and we should, you know, throw away any thought that there is that would be a poor statement on the other side. So I don't, to me, it's not about whether or not there's corruption in the election. I think you were talking earlier that, you know, th there's a consistent corruption pointed out in elections throughout time in the U.S. or around the world. I mean, this isn't a new phenomenon. It's just with our, our current technology age and with the current ability to rally people with, with limited effort, um, it's taken on a really... Uh, broad following. So I, I want to say that is that I'm, I'm not endorsing that the election was done perfectly or that everything is handled flawlessly. I'm just merely saying in the face of it, how do we make sure we seek what we know to be true rather than what we think to be true? Because as you said, I, we, I am prone to listen to people like me and who have a similar thought to me. 
And so my constant struggle is to seek out opposite voices so that I can find in the middle somewhere where the truth likely is marrying it back to what scripture teaches. Well, all right. I think that's a good point. So I, I mean, I, I try to do the same thing to kind of read widely, but also using scripture as, as a light and, and to let that light of Christ shine on that, realizing that, again, we're in a fallen world, we're fallen people, and my expectations are very low of other people and of what's going to happen in this world. So, and then, then also understanding what my impact might be in that world and how I can affect things. So I think we've gotten, that's, that's gotten lost in this whole situation. People get pretty wrapped up in it. I mean, I also go back to thinking just as a little aside, you know, boy, people get really, really worked up about some things and not other things. So, so it also kind of tells where our heart is, where, um, you know, we really get really invested in something when I don't feel like we're really invested perhaps in the gospel or having, like, just like we always talk about gospel conversations, you know, connecting the dots and, and trying to work out what's actually going on around us in interpersonal relationships with believers um, that are, that are, you know, in Christ together, rather than making a lot of independent assessments of what we hear from a whole lot of unbelievers. My general opinion about anybody in the media, right, left, center, doesn't make any difference, with almost without exception, is they're mainly a bunch of unbelievers. So if I'm taking my cue from that, then I'm taking my cue from the wrong people first. I'm not saying they're not valuable to listen to at all. I'm just saying they're living in a different world. And they have a whole different point of view, and they have a whole different uh, culture, um, worldview, whatever it might be. That's that's just a challenge. So I think that's that's all. Those are all issues for sure. Um, if I could, here, here's 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 his list. I'll go through French's list a little further. So conspiracy theories we mentioned. He also mentioned the difficulty in mixing nationalism and the gospel. So that's I mean that's a huge problem too. Is just just understanding what, you know, the United States of America is not, is not, is not a Christian nation. This is not God's holy people on earth like Israel was in the Old Testament. It, it's just not. If, if you're, if I believe that people are saying those things, I'm sure I'll get in trouble with people for saying this, but, but this, this is not something that's derived from scripture. This is derived from the culture reading back into scripture. And I think that's a huge challenge. So, and we, I mean, we should be proud of our country in, in a lot of ways, and we should also be uh, very ashamed of our country in other ways as well. And I think about the abortions uh, that happen in our country. We should be ashamed of this. This is part of our culture that needs to be uprooted. And I, and I know this is a mix and a part of this controversy controversy with this Jericho march and all these people involved there. And, and I know that's a problem. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's complicated and it's mixed, but, but this is... We, we live in a broken world, which includes our country, and our government is not a perfect government. It's very flawed and, and needs help. Now, that doesn't mean we should throw the whole thing out. I mean, I, I, I think it was Winston Churchill. It's kind of like, you know, <laughs> democracy is the worst form of government ever, 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 except all the others. Uh, you know, something along those lines, which I think is really true. I mean, it, it's, we, we live in a, in a messy state. Um, the third thing you mentioned was substituting mysticism for reason and evidence, which is kind of goes back to what we were talking about too. God told me this is the deal. I understand this from God. Therefore, I don't care what the, um, you know, what the, what the data says. I don't care what the, you know, the people that were there say. It doesn't make any difference. Um, it's, it's, it's just what I need to do. And then finally, um, he mentions rages in fear and anger against political opponents. So, you know, not treating people um, lovingly, firmly and biblically for sure, 
but also lovingly in the, in the process. So understanding who they might be kind of goes back into something we were talking about in a previous episode, maybe last week, um, you know, just about how we treat others and how we approach them in, in, a, in a winsome way, but also being very firm in the gospel and very firm in our understanding of what the Bible says and not, and not wavering on that a bit, but also how do we approach others in, in a way that might win them to Christ and, and avoid some of the tribalism that we have here. Uh, we, we want Christ to offend, not us. That the, in other words, the fact of Christ, who he is, what he's doing in this world, and if he would be the one to make, make offense in this situation, we want to be in on that offense. But if it's you know, a situation where Christ may, may be here or thinking of, thinking of him being with us, and we offend someone, and it might not have been something Christ would have offended on, then we're, we're sinning, and we're, we're going to have a problem in that, in that aspect. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think that uh, that idea of um, anger and nationalism is definitely something that we're, I felt that by now, we would begin to see that dying down. And I, I, I honestly think, and I might be wrong, but I, I think that it is dying down in terms of the scope of people who are still engaged in it. But the fervor of those who are still engaged has certainly only amplified. Um, and I was just talking to somebody the other day who said that, you know, I, I said, why are you so angry? Right? When you talk about fruits of the spirit, when you talk about how we should be responding to things, when you talk about the example that you're supposed to have to the world, to be the light of Christ to a, to a dark world, you really come across as very angry. And we end up pushing people who wants to be involved in a, in a faith that looks like that. And uh, his, he said, I'm, I'm not angry at all. You're misreading me. I'm not angry. I'm ready to shoot somebody for this. I'm, I'm ready to stand up and I'm ready to kill if I have to, but I'm not angry. And I said, well, that's even more frightening. <laughs> I don't, I mean, those, those points that, and, and so I, I followed up the conversation and I said, so would you be willing to, uh, extreme perspective, would you be able, would you be willing to, to threaten death to someone who didn't believe Christ, right? Are you that passionate about the gospel that you would take it to that extreme? And they were like, well, no, why would I do that? And I, I, I think there's this like thought process that our, his, his point was that, listen, I desire to have this country um, be blessed and be uh, a continued place of, of freedom, religious freedom and personal freedoms for my children's children and their children and generations to come. So I'm trying to protect that. And I said, but you're doing it at the expense of a, of an eternal perspective. You're doing it at the expense of, of bringing people into a, a understanding of who Christ is. And that, again, it becomes that I'm going to, I'm going to prioritize uh, nationalism. I'm going to prioritize this country as the beacon of hope and light and lady Liberty is our gospel and I'm going to uh, do anything I can to make sure that that is protected in terms of how I present Christ to a broken world. That'll come later by somebody else. It's not my job. I just think it's a really backward way to think about things when we're, when scripturally we're to be ordered by Christ. The only time you, and you, you talked about it, the only time in scripture you see this idea of nationalism is when it's about the covenant people of God. It has nothing to do with the actual boundary nation. It has everything to do with the very covenant of God in dwelling these people. And so I think that, that we've lost sight of that. And we feel like in some way, this is the, you know, this is the, the great hope. And, and we're just, again, we're, we're just a little backwards. And I don't think that we're uh, doing a, the best service that we can for a long-term uh, Christian movement. 
Yeah, I think that's true. You know, it kind of brings to mind a conversation we were having either in the one of the last episodes or maybe just after. We were talking about being, you know, kind of a function of our time. And and what I what I feel like, I mean, I'll date myself. I'm 56 years old. Um, you know, but I, but I, what I feel like is, you know, there was a I, oh gosh, I think back to the let's say World War II. I'm going back to the LBJ. Um, biography again because it's kind of on top of my mind but I, I, I recall some things you know there with world war ii and the the nationalism the patriotism that was going on at then back in that time and and certainly that affected all those that were adults at that time and also children at that time who are still living so you know we still have a lot of people in our culture that were we're losing the last of the world war ii you know fighting generation but all their children um, mainly are still the baby boomer generation are still alive and living and, and many of them have been faithful Christians their entire life um, and, and, have, and have really been, been you know, loved the Lord, served him well. And, 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 and off, unfortunately, what I think is happening, I mean, this is, the, this is the worst side of it. It's not this way for certainly everyone and, and many people not the case at all. But for some, for sure, I think they're marginalizing their witness later in life when they should be right there on the ascendancy in discipling. We've, you know, we've got a discipleship initiative at our church coming up next year. And I'm thinking, oh, the, the, you know, the older generation, what a resource they are and can be. And, and what we've done, and this is part of our conversation we had, I think, the last time we were, we were talking about this, was, you know, we, we simply move through time with our, with our own history without constantly engaging with Scripture and the culture and the people around us and looking, looking downstream from us into the younger generations and to, and to how we can impact and influence them. Because my sense is this whole nationalism and patriotism, um, much of this is going to go away in the next 20 years, next 10 years, um, next five years, 15 years, as, as the baby boomer generation, which I'm, I'm a part of, I'm the last baby boomer year, uh, 1964 technically is the last baby boomer year, as, as this generation dies off. Um, it will not be the same type of people um, coming up. And so there will be a loss in, in Christian service and understanding that, that that group has gone through. And there'll be a gain where that group has been skewed based on living a life, living, living in 2020 like it was 1962 um, or 1972. Um, and, so, and so we all have this problem. And we have the, the, the opposite problem with the younger generation growing up in the, you know, 2000 teens and 20s here that they're going to have the same problem in 30 years that, that the baby boomers are having right now and our goal should be starting from scripture reading the culture through the lens of scripture through the lens of christ as we would say and and in working together intergenerationally to understand what's happening and what's going on using the wisdom and the experiences of the older generations that don't discount their testimony to the younger generations because of the lack of, I don't know, what, what would you would say, lack of understanding of the social environment or, or, or just understanding where other people live, loving younger generations in a different way, maybe. Um, but, but we need to work together to develop a better understanding of where we live and how we're working and, and what we're seeing from a Christian perspective for all. And I think that's a challenge that we face. Yeah, and I think you're... Uh... I think your point is, is um, well made in that we're really talking about an identity issue. We talked about that, I don't remember, one of our earlier podcasts, where, where what we're seeing in uh, this, this boomer generation, the identity is heavily found in country. 
And we're seeing in the younger generation, identity is heavily found in self. And so we've got these two competing aspects of identity and we're just not speaking the same language to each other. And our, our language has to be built on a, on a, a consistent foundation. And if, if we're not, we're just constantly going to be speaking past each other because our identity is entirely defined differently. And so we, it goes back to what we talked about before, that our identity must be in Christ. Once we're united with an identity in Christ, then we're able to have a united conversation to speak the same language or at least be open to learn the language together. And then we can actually begin to make progress on both sides. And we're, what we're seeing now is that you've got a, a one generation who is unwilling to speak differently. You've got another generation who's unwilling to hear differently. And we're, we're just creating more and more tension on both sides. And it's the same thing that we're seeing on the, on the political front. It's the, there's just these massive bifurcations that happen and people are just speaking past each other. And um, our problem is we don't have a consistent unified language and that language has to be Christ and, and we're, we're missing it. And we're trying to scream louder and we're trying to talk more uh, forcefully and we're trying to threaten violence and we're trying to stand up in the only way we know how and we're accelerating this movement. But again, we're, we're doing it in the wrong ways and we're, we're, we're not gonna have the results we're seeking because the permanent results are found in Christ, not in any of these other efforts we're seeing. Yes, I think that's especially well said. And that, that focus on identity is, is a big part of the problem for sure. So, so that our identity is, is in Christ and that that's our first identity. Um, that's the identity that all other identities derive from. And as we find others who are in Christ, other believers, now we can, we can mesh this together and we can find out how our individual experience, knowledge, characteristics, personalities work together to form the body, which is, which is my, my argument for understanding, uh, understanding who is who in the body of Christ. Um, I'll go to the point of church membership and, and understanding, are you a believer or not? And how do I know? How do, who do I listen to and who do I not listen to? So this, to bring, to bring it right back home, that's, that's really important. And, and it's going to continue to be even more important as, as all this moves forward. The other thing I'll mention about that, you mentioned it really earlier on in this, in this episode, was the influence of, say, technology in our culture right now. Um, all of this is accelerating the conversations within all the generations. Um, I don't care if it's my iPad or iPhone, if I'm a 20-something or 30-something, or even 50-something because I use all this stuff, but, 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 or whether I'm a 70-something or an 80-something and I just watch Fox, Fox News on it or, or, or CNN or whatever my, whatever my news source might be. All of this stuff is adding fuel to the fire of all this division and this, this enmity that's going on, and it's, it's making the divide greater. So once again, that's also an identity and also a usage issue because if we identified with Scripture first, we would have something to talk about, but we don't. Uh, we, we have other things to talk about, and then we try to bring Scripture into it so that we can understand the other things, but we start with the other things. Um, I think of the younger generations with all of their, you mentioned the focus on self-identity and self-expression, but it's so fragmented, and it's, and it's also so, um, I don't know what you say, so diverse in all of the different identities that individuals have. It, it even goes to this whole um, whole identity of, of, of wokeness and understanding intersectionality and, and all the different parts of who I am. Well, I'm a, I'm a male. Oh, I'm a white male. Oh, I'm a Christian. 
I'm a Christian. Um, I work out, so maybe I'm a CrossFit group. Maybe I'm a, a political left, political right. <laughs> all these different things, we're, we're all made of, we're not this fragmented thing. We are designed by God to be one person. We mentioned this in the later, earlier episode, body, soul, and spirit unified together, even in our uniqueness in Christ, so that we complement one another in the body, his church, um, we are not divided in those other ways. We are focused on scripture first, then we have an affinity and a love for the brothers and sisters second, and then we also have a love for others third. So, so it has to be in those ways, and we're chopping off love for, well, anyone else at times, but certainly love for others in our misbehavior, in our misunderstanding of the gospel, or our lack of any ascension to the actual gospel, which would mean an unbeliever in my mind, um, but, but any ascension to it, we're, we're, all those things start getting chopped off, and it just comes back to myself, and whatever I prefer, I'm my own God, and oh, I feel like I traveled a long road there with a lot of stuff, but I just, all that stuff is working together right now to cause us a lot of difficulty in our culture, and in our in our cities and in our in our relationships, even with our families. Yeah, I think this uh, we're we're definitely running long on this topic, which is a, a really good one. We knew we would only get to one episode um, this week, um, but I, I want to share a couple thoughts to wrap it up. I'm going to ask Steve to to close with some thoughts, and then and then we'll we'll end. But the the idea that that we want to help to generate out of this conversation is that we would pause, that we would just stop and understand not just what we think and what we feel, and but is it actually aligned to scripture? Is it actually aligned to what we've been called to do, that we, that we love Christ first, that we, that we understand who God is, and that we make sure we leave him on the throne at all times? And then do we also love everyone around us? Do we first love our family first? Do we first love the Christians, the believing community? Do we first love those who are in community? Then do we even love our enemies? Do we love all the others who are uh, opposed to the gospel? Or have we lost sight of what is our number one priority? And I, I think that, that that is my biggest kind of burden right now is that I really think that we've lost sight of our number one priority and we're going to be seen in this current time. When we look back in 20 years, I think we're going to be talking about this year and these events as one of the major uh, pushes forward in post-Christianity in, in a way that people have just left the faith in mass because we are not being what we've been called to be. Paul tells us that we must be ambassadors of Christ. We must be ambassadors to, to a holy God. And we've stopped being ambassadors. And that should be our number one priority. So the hope isn't, we know that, that some of these conversations we had today certainly upset some people and, and certainly would be um, considered a, don't, don't you understand the facts? Don't you understand? It's right in front of you. How don't you see? It's like, yeah, I, I'm not agreeing or disagreeing with anything that's happening. I'm telling you, great. I, I, if you think that you've got all these facts, that fine, that they're, they're true, great, fine. I'm saying that our greater burden, our greater understanding must be for the gospel and that we must be ambassadors for Christ and we must be showing our only hope to a broken world. And are we, if you step back and ask that hard question, are we doing that as, as we're called to do? 
Yeah, that's really helpful. I mean, I, a friend of mine mentioned, um, you know, about, you know, our podcasts and, and that, that, that it, you know, it might be that we don't change anyone's mind on this particular topic. And the topic, I think, being, <laughs> I'll just say, is, is Donald Trump trying to gain the win over the election in a righteous way, or is this election being stolen, right? That being the topic. I, I don't expect to change anyone's mind on that. <laughs> um, I mean, I have an opinion myself, which I haven't even given. I mean, we don't have time and I won't, but I haven't even given my opinion on that whole thing. Uh, my, my concern is that no matter what our position is, this is, I think, just another way of saying what you just said, no matter what our position is, is the fact that I'm a Christian, that I love Jesus, and that I rest my um, ultimate faith and trust and hope on the Bible and Scripture, is that showing through my reaction and my involvement and my conversation about the topic? What, what's being shown here? Is the topic preeminent or is Christ? And so that I think is a key thing. And so in that, I think myself, yourself, any, anybody, uh, we, we need to have a measure of introspection there, not to focus on ourselves particularly, but to see what's going on so that we can reflect on who we are, what we're doing, how we're thinking, and how we're responding in the light of Scripture, and then check ourselves. I mean, am I loving Jesus? First of all, am I, am I loving Jesus? Do I love Jesus? Um, if so, where am I sinning? And, and then once, I, once the, the Scripture has shown me where I'm sinning, the Holy Spirit has shown me where I'm sinning, how can I move out from that place in, in love? And I'm not even, when I say love, I'm not meaning like be soft and kind to everyone. No, that's not necessarily it. How would Christ have me act and react in a very firm way, perhaps, in some of these things, or in a soft way, but no matter what, showing the love of Jesus, remembering that Jesus came in huh, passive at one time, and he's going to come as a conqueror, slaughtering conqueror another time. All of that is the love of Jesus. How are we engaging the world with Christ's love, um, and that he would be made known, and that he would be worshipped, and we would be true to him in his family, in, in Christ? Um, through all of that. that. That would be my, my, my prayer and my hope for anyone that would hear this. Well, thank you, Steve. Good conversation. You too, Adam. Thank you.